Welcome, welcome back into the Noah's Ark of Sports podcast. I hope all of you have had fantastic weekends with whatever you found yourself doing. By the way, I'm your host here, Noah Dunlap. Um, got a lot to get to on the show today. We're breaking down week four of the college football season. Going to be breaking down week three of the NFL season as well as another story or two to get to along the way. So a lot to get to. Before we do that, though, I had a crazy weekend this weekend. I know I told y'all late last week that the reason I wasn't going to be on on Friday was that I was traveling up to Kansas City for a concert. Well, went to Kansas City, uh, drove up there Friday morning, Went to the concert Friday night, drove back Friday night slash early Saturday morning. If you know me at all, no stopping, straight driving. We don't need hotels when it's just a one-day trip. Uh, But left Kansas City about midnight Friday night slash Saturday morning. Got back home around 8.30 or so just in time to get prepared for the college football slate on Saturday. Hey, when it's your job, you can have fun during the week just a little bit. But when it comes to Saturday, we've got games to watch. We've got football to watch. That's what we do. Uh, Along the way, just about 30 minutes outside of Kansas City on the way there, picked up a ridiculous speeding ticket along the way in some place called Peculiar, Missouri. Well, peculiar Missouri, I'm here to tell you guys, that cop was as peculiar as that ticket and, well, the town itself. Weird place. Won't be driving back through there because this guy said I was speeding going 87. I assure you, I was doing no more than about 75. I've picked up multiple speeding tickets in my life. Most of the time, I don't argue. Most of the time, I take it in stride and say, hey, that's fine. I can tell you, this one was not me. Peculiar Missouri. Get your radar and your facts straight because that was nonsense. But nonetheless, that was my weekend. Uh, Just a quick breakdown there. But now I want to go ahead and dive into the football slate that we saw this weekend. Um, Giving a quick recap about a few things And then turning to other topics as well, as I mentioned earlier. Okay, so the college football slate this week. There were a lot of good games. There were a lot of not-so-good games. Um, A few games that were supposed to be good that turned out not to be so good. Uh, But that's what we get when we're talking college football. And it started early in the day. Clemson, Wake Forest, I think the line was relatively close. But for a lot of people out there, it just felt like a game that Clemson was going to run away with. And even throughout much of the first quarter, it looked like a game Clemson was going to run away with. And then things kind of shifted along the way. And... Wake got back in it. Wake actually took a decent lead for much of the game and ended up losing in overtime. Now, most of the time I try not to question coaches too much on decisions. However, what Dave Clawson did on the last drive of regulation in the Wake-Clemson game is one of the most absurd decisions I have ever seen from a Power 5 head coach. Wake, in a tie ball game, has a minute and a half or so. Well, no, it wasn't. That was toward the end of it. They actually got the ball with three and a half to four minutes left. All you need is a field goal to go down, win the game. Dave Clawson, despite the fact that Sam Hartman, his quarterback, has thrown the ball magnificently well all game long, five touchdown passes, 
less than seven or eight incompletions, I believe it was, thrown for 300 yards right at, no interceptions. And you virtually took the game out of his hands late. As instead of running your offense, trying to get down the field as you've been doing all game long, in the, you know, in route to scoring 38 up to that point, you decide to run the ball, 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 and end up with a situation that I believe they missed a field goal late that ended up sending the game into overtime in which you ended up losing because Clemson scored, I guess it was double overtime. I I hate to just outright blame coaches for losses. I really do put that loss on Dave Clawson. And I would love to ask him, looking back, if he would change the way he went about that last drive because it was terrible. It was an absolute terrible decision. I was watching it live at the time, just losing my mind. Losing my mind about how dumb of a decision that was. Because the fact is, is that if you score a touchdown on that drive, even if you score a touchdown relatively quick and you give Clemson a minute 45, two minutes left, worst case scenario is that you score a touchdown, Clemson scores a touchdown, and you go to overtime anyway. Why are we out here playing for field goals when you know the history of college kickers isn't all that great? It was just stunningly dumb from a really smart head coach in Dave Clawson. I just, that one, that one bothered me a lot because it made no sense. That was the best, I think, game we saw in the early slate. We also saw Kansas, the Jazzy Jayhawks, coming out at home, out in Lawrence, knocking off the Duke Blue Devils in what was also a relatively fun football game between two surprising um, undefeated teams up to that point. By the way, Kansas now 4-0 on the year. Last year, they went 2-10. and This year, they have already doubled their win total, and we are not even to week five yet. Look at the Jazzy Jayhawks rolling, doing things. Lance Leopold got the guys over in Lawrence, Kansas, playing really good football. Big game coming up for them this week against Iowa State. Can't wait to see that one. That one's going to be fun. Um, What else did we see this weekend? We saw Georgia struggle. The game was never in doubt. They were playing Kent State, but Georgia actually gave up 22 this weekend to Kent State in route to like a 39-22 win, I believe it was. There's not much to take away from that. We know how good Georgia is. I think they were just bored as they await the real start of conference play. Um, Then the the afternoon slate was pretty, pretty fun. Pretty fun as far as it goes. Um, Minnesota shocking everyone and alerting everyone to the fact that the Minnesota Golden Gophers are indeed looking like a really good football team. Looks like P.J. Fleck has the Golden Gophers ready to row the boat all year this year as they utterly destroyed Michigan State. Michigan State is a team that surprised a lot of people last year with how good they were. As we move deeper into this season, it's beginning to look more and more like that may have been a Kenneth Walker situation, less so than a Mel Tucker situation, as the Sparty offense is so bad. They are absolutely atrocious. But even with that, even with that, what Minnesota did to Michigan State this past weekend. Pretty surprising. Beat them by 34, I believe. Not 34, uh, 27. I believe the final score there was 34 to 7. Um, so, big time news if you're a Minnesota fan, if you're a PJ Fleck fan. By the way, I hold no real interest in Minnesota football. 
but I absolutely love PJ Fleck. Always have um, enjoying watching what he's doing up there in Minnesota right now. Now, the biggest game of the 2.30 the afternoon slate was obviously Florida-Tennessee from Knoxville. And this game was painful all the way around. Number one, Florida, not a very good football team. Got to tell you, I just, the more I watch them, they got a good win in week one over Utah at home. And since then, it's just been mediocrity. And I think that's that's kind of telling as far as it goes. And I think you saw that a lot this weekend too. Um, busted coverages. The Florida secondary just got torched all game long. And it wasn't that Tennessee's receivers were really making plays. There was one phenomenal catch in the second half. But other than that, most of the plays were wide open. I mean, so many busted coverages in that game. It was just astounding to see. So you ended up in this tight situation where Florida's defense is absolutely abysmal. But Tennessee's is too. And that's something that's going to have to change for Tennessee if they want to be considered, if they want to be taken seriously as a contender this year. We know how good the offense is. The offense is really good. I'm still hesitant on Hendon Hooker. I don't actually think he's that great of a quarterback. I think he's a decent quarterback. But I don't think he's great. But the offense is rolling in that Josh Heupel system, and that's fine. But the problem is Tennessee has not played a defense yet this season. Against good defenses, Alabama, Georgia, potentially Kentucky coming up at the end of the year. How does that offense hold up? How does that that system hold up? So that'll be fun to watch. I'm not sure about Tennessee yet this year. Um, it also didn't help that that was one of the poorest, I mean, absolutely terribly officiated football games that I've seen in a long time. We had three blatant personal fouls that should have been called against Tennessee. None of them were called. I I was losing my mind. I hate Florida. I hate Tennessee. I had no vested vested interest in that football game at all. But man, the the officiating for large portions of that ball game was just so one-sided. So one-sided. And then to cap it off, the worst this may legitimately be the worst call I have ever seen in my life. If y'all were watching this game at all, the Anthony Richardson touchdown, the rushing touchdown that he had from like the one-yard line or whatever, where the guy, Anthony Richardson, is literally standing two feet in the end zone, just standing there with the ball, basically holding the ball out. And the two line judges come in from the either side of the goal line and act like they don't know whether, number one, the ball is in the end zone, number two, where the ball is. They end up placing the ball back at like the half-yard line. It had to go to review to get cleared up. The entire time that all of this was going on, I was just laughing. I was like, how bad can y'all be? It was one of the most obvious touchdowns you've ever seen from a goal line situation. And the notion that the clown refs in this football game had no idea, number one, where the ball was. Number two, even though when you finally find the ball and you see that Anthony Richardson is standing in the end zone with the ball, you still proceed to mark the ball at the half-yard line. The game was officiated atrociously. It was horrible to watch, and all it did was highlight what everyone who has watched SEC football for a long time has known, which is the fact that the SEC has to get better refs. They are the premier conference in college football. By and large, they're the premier conference in all of college athletics. The idea that they're officiating is so terrible. It is so pathetically bad. 
is a problem and it needs to get fixed. The problem is it just won't get fixed. But nonetheless, despite all of that, um, moving away from the officiating in that football game, what was Billy Napier thinking? Florida scored in the fourth quarter of that ball game to go down by 11. I believe it was. Billy Napier decided to go for two. There is no difference between being down by nine and being down by ten. Why are you going for two? If you're down by ten, you have to have a touchdown and a field goal. If you're down by nine, you know what you have to have? A touchdown and a field goal. I, Much like Dave Clawson that I mentioned earlier with the Clemson weight game, I like Billy Napier a lot. I think Billy Napier is a good football coach. I think over time he is going to win at a high level at Florida. Decisions like that that we saw this past weekend make me question a ton of things, including whether or not this guy is ready for the big stage. Because that was an absolutely brain-dead decision. Just brain-dead. To make matters worse, Florida actually gets the onside kick. Florida had a chance to win that football game. Because being down by 11, they scored again. You scored again down by 11. Then you got the onside kick. And instead of needing a field goal, you had to have four because of the fact that, or maybe it wasn't four, maybe it was five. Because that all started with the fact that you went for two instead of kicking the extra point earlier in the fourth quarter. I say this a lot. Oftentimes it seems like college head coaches are overpaid gym teachers. That continued this weekend, as those were two of the dumbest things I've ever seen from Dave Clawson, from Billy Napier, respectively. Uh, That was the main game of the afternoon slate. The night slate ended up being pretty boring as far as it goes. Wisconsin got rolled by Ohio State. Vanderbilt got rolled by Alabama. By the way, Vanderbilt, y'all are terrible. I was on board the Vanderbilt train. You knew they were going to get blown out, but I was at least hoping, at least hoping, for Vandy to score 7-10. to 7-10 to 10 from Vandy would have gotten me my over of 59. Instead, Vandy gets held to 3, and they end at 58, and I lose that bet. Just... Terrible decision there. Uh, Terribly atrocious from Vanderbilt along the way, only managing to get three on the board against the Crimson Tide. Um, What else did we see from the night slate? Texas A&M-Arkansas. A&M squeaks away with a win after a last-second field goal comes up just wide. From Arkansas, one of the weirder things I've ever seen in the sense that the ball didn't hit the upright on the field goal. The ball legit basically hit the very top of the upright on the field goal and bounced back into play. So ended up being no good there. Uh, Just tough loss if you're Arkansas there. They're dealing with a lot of issues in their secondary so the fact that that ball game was actually that close, to me, proves that Texas A&M honestly isn't very good. That Texas A&M offense is not good. That Arkansas team is going to struggle this year with Catalan and Miles Slusher being out. 
in the secondary. So I think that's what we got from that ball game. It was boring. It was ugly. It was honestly just as bad and just as sloppy as we kind of all expected. So that's what we have there. And then the uh, the best late night game that we saw was USC going up to Corvallis to take on Oregon State. Oregon State had chances to win that ball game. I'm actually high on this Oregon State team. I think Oregon State is headed in the right direction. It just so happens that I don't think they have that winning culture yet. I don't think they're a team that necessarily knows how to win yet. As they had the lead late, um, you let USC score to take a 10-7 lead at one point. Then Oregon State actually responds to go up, I guess it was 14-10 to 10 late in the ball game, and then the defense just couldn't hold long enough. Caleb Williams hits Jordan Addison um, for a touchdown with just over a minute to play. USC holds on, wins 17-14. Um, really good football game. Really good football game all the way around. I think they're two really good football teams. USC certainly looks like a top 10 team right now. Oregon State looks like a really good team as well. The Beavers on the right track, just not quite there yet. But you have to like the progress that's been made. You have to like where they seem to be trending. So that's good news if you're an Oregon State fan. This was the first real test that we've seen. And the question was whether or not they could hang close with a USC team that has looked really good this year? And the answer was they did. They did, and the other answer was they arguably should have won. They had plenty of chances to win. So if you're an Oregon State Beavers fan, you have to like where your program is. They're certainly trending in the right direction anyway. That's a recap of everything that we saw this weekend, well, on Saturday in terms of college football. Now, with that being said, let's go and give the top 10, call it the ARC top 10 before we turn to the NFL. My top 10, starting at number 10, driving down to uh, one, I have Utah at 10, beat Arizona State handily this weekend. Um, Penn State at nine. Penn State, they haven't blown anyone out, but they are consistent and they are just taking care of business. James Franklin Really good team up there at Happy Valley, up there in State College this year. It'll be interesting in the Big Ten looking at the Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Minnesota watch. That's going to be – the Big Ten is pretty good this year. There are plenty of teams. I think Ohio State is clearly the best, but there are teams that can compete as well. So I have Penn State at number nine. NC State at 8, NC State, another one of those teams, they are quietly taking care of business. They started the year with a one-point win over East Carolina on the road. Since then, they've it's been quiet. They're under the radar, but that Wolfpack defense is really good. That Wolfpack defense has kept their team in it oftentimes this year as the offense hasn't looked necessarily that great at times. That's one concern, but for now, I do have NC State at 8. Clemson at 7. Clemson, they're just hanging around right now. They don't look all that impressive, but they are Clemson. It is Dabo Sweeney. That'll be interesting to see the rest of the way. By the way, Clemson-NC State is this week going to be a phenomenal game. Can't wait for that one. That is a matchup of 7 and 8 on my rankings. I'm not sure where they are in the uh, the AP poll, but I believe they are both still in the top 12, top 13. So that's a huge matchup there. I have Tennessee at 6. Maybe that's a little high. I know Tennessee isn't as high in the AP ranking or anything, but going based on – remember, this poll is based on everything we've seen this year. I don't throw – I really, for the most part, don't throw preseason rankings into it. I don't throw last year into it. I base solely on what I've seen this year. That's where this comes from. Tennessee, number six, 
Their defense, a little suspect, a little shaky, but that offense right now with Josh Heupel is rolling, and I think that offsets some of the concerns there. Give me Tennessee at six, USC at five. Big win going on the road to Corvallis this weekend. Sometimes it doesn't have to be pretty. It's just the fact that a win is a win. And in a a surprisingly tough place to play, squeaking out a win at Corvallis. I like what I've seen from USC this this year. Liked what I saw this week. So I've got Lincoln Riley and USC at number five. Michigan at four. They've destroyed teams so far. They... Had a bit of a letdown this week as they had to scrape by Maryland in an ugly game, but maybe a squeaky little close win over a decent but not great Maryland team is a wake-up call for Michigan. It'll be interesting to see moving forward whether the Michigan from the first three weeks is who they are or whether they are actually the team that we saw this week. We will figure out more about Michigan as the season goes on. Ohio State at three. They've been quiet, but they've just been destroying teams this week. No different. They rather handily just walked all over Wisconsin, um, destroyed the Badgers. So give me Ohio State at three. I actually moved Georgia down this week. I have Georgia at two. I know everyone still has Georgia at one. I have Georgia at two. I think Georgia and Alabama are almost interchangeable. But the difference here is that Georgia struggled and gave up 22 against Kent State this week. Meanwhile, Alabama took on an SEC team, despite the fact that they are one of the worst SEC teams. Alabama took on an SEC team and beat them 55-3. to I think that is the biggest difference that I have right now. Like I said, to me, those two teams are interchangeable. Every single week, I'm almost going to change those based on what we see until we get some type of continuity from each or from either, if you will. So got Alabama at one right now, Georgia at two, but they could honestly basically be 1A and 1B, if we're going to be honest. That's where they are compared to everyone else right now. That is my top 10 here on the Noah's Ark of Sports. And that concludes the college football recap of this weekend. Now, moving on, the NFL slate from yesterday. Uh, Fun week. Had a little bit of everything. The Ravens sliding past the Patriots, getting their franchise's first win in Foxborough. In franchise history, that's a stat that I saw yesterday that absolutely surprised me, just shocked me immensely. The notion that the Baltimore Ravens have never beaten New England in New England is a stat that I didn't expect to see. But hey, that's what we got. And it was thanks to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, by the way, I know this is a contract year for him. He mentioned earlier, right before the season started, that he wasn't doing contract talks during the season. He was focused on football. Currently, that seems to have been a really good decision because if he can stay healthy, the Lamar Jackson that we've seen so far this year is about to make an absolute boatload of cash. I mean, the guy is going to be... Before the season started, I would have told you that my number for Lamar would have been in between 35 and 38. If Lamar plays like he is right now throughout this entire season and can prove that he can do such without getting injured and maybe picking up a playoff win along the way, I would up that number to 45 or so for Lamar Jackson. That's how good he has looked. Lamar Jackson has been phenomenal this year. The Ravens, even though they may not want to, the fact is is that where he is leading that team and how he looks right now, they are going to have to pay up. And that's just where we are. Now, the other question is, does Lamar even want to be in Baltimore anymore? I don't know. That's another side of this that no one really wants to talk about. 
But nonetheless, phenomenal start from Lamar Jackson this year, including yesterday as he led the Ravens to a win over the New England Patriots. Um, The other storyline from that game, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones going out on the what may have been the last play of the game, actually with a sprained ankle. Right now it's being reported as a high ankle sprain. If that's the case, I would assume he's out for probably two to three weeks at least, in which case they have to make a decision between Brian Hoyer and I think his name is Brad Zappi. He's a rookie from Western Kentucky, really good for the Hilltoppers last year in college. Didn't look so good this preseason, but honestly, if you're the Patriots and Mac Jones has to miss time, I think you throw Zappy out there just to see. Brian Hoyer is a just nomad veteran at this point. He's 40-plus years old. Honestly, the only reason he's on the roster is to help continue to basically coach Jones and the other quarterbacks there. You get nothing from him being in the starting lineup. You get nothing from him starting. So take a chance on Zappi and see what he can get you. Yes, it'll probably end up being a rough start. Um, Might end up being a disaster. But that's the only way young guys learn. That's the only way you gain that experience. So if Jones is out for a couple weeks, which I think it's almost guaranteed that he will be, I would lean towards the Patriots starting Zappy there. Uh, what else did we see noteworthy from the NFL slate? The um, Panthers beating the Saints. Nothing too much there. The Bears beating the Houston Texans, despite the fact that Justin Fields continues to look atrocious. Everyone was high on Justin Fields coming out of college. I told everyone that the guy wasn't an NFL quarterback. I never bought in. And what is being proven right now is Justin Fields is absolutely terrible. He is an atrocious NFL quarterback. It's so bad. His number's atrocious. I understand Chicago got the win but it wasn't to do with Justin Fields because the guy is just not good. So that's the breakdown of Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears win. Like I said, surprising they got the win because the guy just, I'm sorry, he is not an NFL quarterback at all. He continues to prove it. Uh, The other noteworthy early slate games, the Miami Dolphins hanging on and beating Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills team that everyone agrees, virtually everyone agrees, is probably the best team in the NFL, went down to Miami this weekend, got beat in a tight one against the Dolphins. I think we've all seen the clip of Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey losing his mind up in the press box at the end of that ball game as Buffalo had a chance to win. They were down two, they were in field goal range, and the only issue is they were out of timeouts. So they ran a play, dude wasn't able to get out of bounds, um, and because you didn't have a timeout, because you didn't get out of bounds, clock kept running, clock never stopped. The field goal unit was not able to get on the field, they were not able to spike the ball, clock runs out, Miami wins 21-19. Huge win for the Miami Dolphins yet again this week from head coach Mike McDaniel. By the way, two things here. Mike McDaniel rocking a hoodie down in South Florida with a tropical storm that just came through, a hurricane on the way, humidity cranked all the way up to 11, and Mike McDaniel just rocking the hoodie like it doesn't even matter. Phenomenal move there. Love Mike McDaniel. I like this new look Miami Dolphins team. I think they're a good football team. Um, the biggest storyline from that game, though, ended up being the two attack of Iloa situation. We all saw it. Uh, Tua takes the hit, gets shoved down after a pass, and I think it was in the second quarter maybe, and he hit his head on the ground. 
hit his head on the ground. As he gets up, he starts moving, clearly shaken, clearly wobbly on his feet. At one point, ended up falling over and then ended up having to be held up by his lineman right after that. Obviously, he's taken out of the game at that point, yet he returns to the game, and the Dolphins say he had passed concussion protocol. I'm no doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor. However, what we saw from Tua after that hit, after him hitting his head on the ground there, looked a lot like a concussion. And in a sport that is supposed to be huge on player safety, the idea that Tua came back in that ball game is extremely concerning. The NFL Players Association has already come out and called for an investigation to be done, and I think that's the right call. Um, I think that's the right decision. After the game, the Dolphins changed their tune just a little bit And they came out and said the issue was that Tua had tweaked his back and almost like strained his back on a QB sneak earlier in the game. And then on the hit when he got shoved, when he landed, he ended up tweaking it again. And Tua himself came out and said, hey, when he got up, basically that tweak caused his back to lock up, which is why he was all wobbly and stuff. Technically speaking, I can buy that. I can understand that. I can see that. However, that's not necessarily what it looked like on video. That's not what it looked like on camera, if we're going to be honest. So I like the fact that we're getting an investigation into this. Now, if it is true that Tua didn't have a head injury, if it's true that Tua didn't have a concussion, that's fine. However, if it turns out that he did and they put him back in the game like that, there are going to be massive questions and there are going to be some type of punishment and discipline handed down because the NFL is a violent sport. The NFL is supposed to be about player safety and everything else. And the Tua situation from yesterday kind of just honestly, based on what we saw on camera anyway, based on what we saw on video, it seems like it spit in the face of that just a little bit. Like I said, I like the Dolphins, I like Mike McDaniel, and I hope it is just a back injury. I hope it is just the fact that, like Tua said, your back locked up on you. But that's not what it looked like, so we are going to need an investigation done just to find out. So I think that's the right call all the way around. But regardless, huge win from the Dolphins there. A few other stories. The Jacksonville Jaguars going on the road and destroying, not just beating, but destroying the Chargers. This is a Chargers team under Justin Herbert that a lot of people had in the Super Bowl this year. And the Jacksonville Jaguars just went out west and absolutely handed it to them. The Jacksonville Jaguars, oddly enough, also currently leading the AFC South Jacksonville is one of the most dysfunctional franchises I've seen in professional sports. The idea that we are heading to week four of the NFL season and the Jacksonville Jaguars are leading the AFC South outright. Phenomenal stuff there. Great storyline. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal quarterback. Seems like a phenomenal guy as well. So I'm happy for him. I'm okay with Jacksonville winning. I'm okay with Jacksonville being successful. I think T-Law deserves it. But just a weird storyline as we are now entering week four of the NFL season. And yes, the Jacksonville Jaguars are currently leading the AFC South outright. Last story of the day. um, Well, last storyline of the NFL day anyway. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers facing off for what may be the last time last night, well, yesterday afternoon. Maybe they meet up again in the playoffs this year. We don't know. They easily could. I think they are the two best teams in the NFC right now. The only team I would also throw in that mix is Philadelphia. Be interesting to see what Philly does late in the year, if they can 
continue the momentum that they have moving forward. But Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Packers, Bucks yesterday afternoon, a game that started out looking like it was going to be a high-scoring affair, both quarterbacks playing extremely well. And then turnovers turned everything on its head. And it wasn't the quarterbacks. It was fumbles, it was muffs, it was everything. Just numerous turnovers, numerous fumbles that seemed like were coming on every single possession that ended up causing that ball game to be close, ended up causing that ball game to be low scoring. Even with how low scoring and ugly the game was all in all, Brady still had the chance to tie the game up at the end of regulation, send it to overtime. Instead, on the two-point conversion, you end up not getting the playoff. You get a delay a game, backs it up to the seven. And then from the seven, I honestly didn't like the play call. I thought it was a bad play call. You ended up with Brady having to scramble out just a little bit, roll out to his right, which effectively cuts the field in half. When I'm that close to the goal line, I can't cut the field in half. The field gets too crowded. That's what we saw on that play. He tried to force one, ball gets knocked away, and the Green Bay Packers win a tight one by two. But even with that, like I said, really good football game. It was ugly. It was sloppy. The turnovers kind of changed the whole outset of the game, the way the game was trending. But nonetheless, we did get a close one. Here's to hoping that those two teams meet in the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, two of the best to ever do it, especially in this generation, in this era. So with the fact that we're assuming this is Tom Brady's last year, almost for sure, just seems like one of those that we need. Uh, would love to see those two guys play one more time in the postseason. Hopefully that happens, but who knows. Um, moving on past that, Sunday night football last night, so bad, so bad. You had 49ers uh, Broncos, and I I don't know what anyone expected. You knew it was going to be low scoring. I don't think anyone realized just how bad, just how low scoring it was going to be because it was awful. The Broncos are atrocious. The defense is decent. The offense, abysmal. Even with Russell Wilson, they just don't look good. Something looks off. With Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach, way more questions than answers right now, if we're going to be honest. I know, similar to what I mentioned about the Chargers, there were a lot of people who actually thought the Broncos had a chance to win a Super Bowl this year. That With the defense being as good as they are, you bought into Russell Wilson being the quarterback and being the answer the offense needed. Right now, I've got none of that. N just nothing at all. The punt rate is higher through three games. Um, the number of punts and the punt rate for that offense right now is higher through three games this year under Nathaniel Hackett than it was for Vic Fangio in any of his years up in Denver. That is a bad sign because that Vic Fangio offense was atrocious. And if we're arguing that this this year's Bronco offense may be worse, there are major issues up there in the Mile High City. Now, to be fair, they did get the win. It was ugly. It set football back 50 to 100 years. Atrocious football all the way around, but they did get the win. For San Francisco, Jimmy G missed multiple potentially open touchdown passes. Concerning, Jimmy G stepping out of the back of the end zone, not knowing where he is on the field, causing a safety. Not a great look. However, to be fair, on that safety where he steps out the back of the end zone. He did throw a pick six on that same play. So it ended up technically being a net of plus four points, plus five points, if you will, potentially, for the 49ers there. But I think it's what that did was show 
the problem with Jimmy Garoppolo as an NFL quarterback, which is that last week, replacing Trey Lance, Jimmy G looked really good. The team looked excited. The team looked renewed. You managed to get the win. This week, the team looked abysmal. The offense was sluggish. Jimmy G missed throws. There were a few questionable decisions. Everything looked off. That's what you've come to realize is going to be a thing with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. You're going to have good weeks. You're going to have really bad weeks. Now, for the people acting like Trey Lance is a better option, that's an absurd take. I'm here to tell you right now, Trey Lance, not a better option at all. Not a chance. Just because Jimmy Garoppolo looked really bad doesn't mean Trey Lance would have done any better because Trey Lance is awful as well. If we're being completely honest here, if I were the San Francisco 49ers, I think at some point this year, they need to throw Brock Purdy in. He's the rookie from Iowa State. Um, Coming after his junior year, there were high hopes for him to be arguably the best quarterback in the draft. Ended up not coming out. Came back for his senior year. Didn't look great his senior year fell down the boards just a little bit. Some of the excitement kind of went away, but he does have a pro type body. He's from a physical standpoint, he's there from a decision-making standpoint. I'm not sure about, but much like I mentioned with Brad Zappi over at new England, I think this is a similar situation where the only way you find out is if you put him in the game And at this point, we know for a fact that Trey Lance isn't the guy. Trey Lance is out for the year. Jimmy Garoppolo, way too inconsistent. So I would potentially look at throwing Brock Purdy in at some point. That's just me. We'll find out what Kyle Shanahan decides to do as the year goes on. But that's one option they could go with. Uh, Tonight, we get Monday Night Football. We get Giants-Cowboys. Um, going to be a fun one there. Got a quick few little bets for you. You want to throw a same game parlay together. Y'all can do this. This is a bet. This is a parlay that I'm high on here. Give me the over 39 and a half in this one. I think the Cowboys defense, they're missing a few guys. Um, New York may have a chance to exploit some of that. Micah Parsons, we're not sure about yet. He's been dealing with an an illness. I think he plays. I think it's guaranteed that he plays, but does that limit him just a little bit? You don't know. They are also dealing with some other issues throughout that Cowboy defense. So look for New York to score 24 or so. 23-24, I could see. And then... The New York defense got shredded by Ryan Tannehill, of all people, in the opener. They looked a little better in week two. This week, I think you're going to get a healthy dose of Ezekiel Elliott. Look for Cooper Rush to make good decisions. Not necessarily do too much, but just make good decisions. I think we get a 27-24 kind of Cowboys win here, which blows past the 39 and a half. So give me the over 39 and a half. Give me Ezekiel Elliott with over 14 and a half carries as a player prop. And also give me um, CD Lamb over four and a half receptions. He's been a favorite target of Cooper Rush when Rush has had to start. I think that continues tonight. He's certainly going to get eight, nine targets. And off of those eight or nine targets, I can see five or six receptions for sure. So that's a quick three legs on a same game parlay. Pretty good value there. So go ahead and take that parlay as we round out week three of the NFL season. Last story I want to talk about here, or maybe two more. Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, that moment on Friday night from the Laver Cup out in London in what was Roger Federer's last professional tennis match, um, 
we've all seen the moment now as after the match, Federer and Nadal played doubles that night in his last match. They ended up losing, but none of that mattered. None of that was important. It was after the match you saw the moment with those two guys sitting next to each other, both tears in their eyes, crying. Virtually everyone in the stadium had tears in their eyes. And I think that was such a telling moment for tennis, but more importantly, just how popular Roger Federer is as not only an athlete, but a role model, someone to look up to. Because when you look at it, think about, and I mentioned this at the time when I saw it, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, that may legitimately be the greatest rivalry we have ever seen in terms of an individual sport. Team sports or whatever, that that's not being equated into this. But when it comes to individual sports and you look at two guys who over the course of their career constantly went head-to-head and created a rivalry in and of itself, I don't know that we've ever seen something quite like Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer. And to see those two rivals, to see those two guys on the same court playing with each other in Federer's last match, and then afterwards seeing those two guys shed tears, both in absolute tears, mutual respect, the highest sign of respect you can ever have, and the notion that, like I said, anyone who knows tennis knows how fierce that rivalry was. They're really close friends, but it never got in the way of the fact that on the court, that might legitimately be the best rivalry we have ever seen from an individual sport. Phenomenal career. I've already went through the story with Roger Federer and the reason I love the guy so much. I did that, I guess it was last week, maybe on the show. Won't do that again. But for me, Roger Federer, in terms of an athlete, might be the biggest role model I think I've had in terms of sports, in terms of athletics. The way he played the game, the way he conducted himself on and off the court, just I think anyone can look up to it. And he's a guy who the grace, the athleticism, the humbleness, all of that, that's something that young people can look up to. So even though he may not be playing anymore, I think he's a guy that if you're a up-and-coming tennis player who wants to learn how to play the game, how to do things the right way, even if he's not on the court playing, go back and watch old Roger Federer matches because you will be astounded and you will learn so much. So hats off to Roger Federer, hats off to Nadal for the ultimate show of respect there Friday night. One hell of a career from the GOAT, and I'm sorry, but to me, Roger Federer is indeed the GOAT. I don't care what anyone else says. So just phenomenal career. Tennis is certainly going to miss the guy. And just like I said, eight emotional moment Friday night when I saw that Friday night it I was um I was actually standing in line waiting to get into the concert checking the news checking um checking Twitter checking to make sure I didn't miss anything and that kind of came across my feed and I I immediately honestly teared up a little bit too like I said just because the the impact that Federer has had on my life and then knowing that those two guys the fierceness that that rivalry was, seeing that just respect there, you just, you have to love it. And it it's a moving moment. It's an emotional moment. So that was fun to see. But nonetheless, wonderful career from Roger Federer, riding off into the sunset. Not sure what he's doing yet. I could see him potentially being on Grand Slam coverage eventually with ESPN and those guys. Um doing the U.S. Open, the Australian Open, French, Wimbledon, all of that. I could see that being a thing eventually. Probably not this year or next year. I think he's going to take a break, enjoy life away from tennis for a couple years. But over the next probably three to four years, I could see him jumping in on tennis coverage, especially for Grand Slams there. 
Uh, but nonetheless, moving moment, great moment there between those two guys um, Friday night at the at the Laver Cup out in London. Last story of the day, last story I'm going to get to, I promise. Um, more has come out a bit about this Ime Udoka situation. And I know if you recall back on Thursday when I talked about it, I mentioned the fact that I thought the the year-long suspension that was almost certainly coming out at that point, it, it hadn't been made official at that point, but you knew it was coming. I mentioned the fact that I thought that was a lot based on what we knew about the situation. And I mentioned the fact that I thought there had to be something else. Well, it turns out that there may have potentially been something else. And the problem is we still don't really know. Because what we now know, the latest here, and I'm going to break this down and leave it at that, and I'm sure we will eventually learn more as it goes on. But if you don't recall, Ime Udoka, the Boston Celtics head coach, was suspended for the entire upcoming year for having a consensual relationship with a staff member. Well, he ended up being suspended, like I said, the entire year. My answer was, that's insane. Based on what we knew at the time, that was nuts. Makes no sense. A consensual relationship between two adults, I don't care what the issue is, should not end in him being suspended for an entire year. My answer was a month or two, maybe. Probably a month would have been where I would have left it just to say, hey, no offense, can't really have you out here having affairs with staff members. Um, but nonetheless, over the weekend, we learned a little bit more, which is that apparently people found out about it as early as July, and as early as June or July anyway, and they tried to get it stopped. They basically went to him and potentially told him, hey, this has to stop, and it didn't stop. And I don't know about the accuracy of the reports. There are also some reports that Udoka potentially started harassing different people surrounding the story and the incident itself. Like I said, that's something, those are unverified reports. I don't want to throw those out there because I have no idea if that's true or not. But if that's true, do I think a year is still a, a bit much? Yes. But I think it makes more sense that way. Um, you had Matt Barnes come out on Instagram, former NBA player Matt Barnes. Um, he currently does work for ESPN as a basketball analyst. He came out yesterday, I believe it was, and actually apologized for his orig uh, original take, saying he thought the punishment was too much and said he has learned more about it since then and that he understands that he thinks it was the right decision now. The problem is he didn't extrapolate on what he had found out. And as far as it goes, no one else knows either because nothing else has really been released as far as it goes. So that's where we are right now with the Ime Udoka situation is that I still think it was a bit much. I think a year is too much. Even with the latest revelations that have come out, I think you probably should have leaned into a three to four month suspension instead of an entire year. However, based on different reports that we don't know anything about, there are a lot of people saying it goes a lot deeper and it's a lot worse than what was originally reported, which that could potentially change some minds. That could potentially change my mind as well. Like I said, when this first broke, something else had to be out there. I told y'all that immediately, that there couldn't be a situation where this is all we were getting, that this was all that was out there because the punishment didn't make sense to the accusations. However, it does look like there's probably more, which is what I said. Will we ever know what the, quote, more was? Maybe, maybe not. I think eventually it's going to come out one way or another. But what we do know right now is that there does appear to be something else out there surrounding this situation, which is why you got the punishment that you did here if you're Ime Udoka. So 
it'll be interesting to see what comes out there, if anything else comes out. But that is where we are right now, what we have, what we know surrounding the latest in the Ime Udoka scandal up in Boston. Thank you guys for listening to the show today. This has been the Noah's Ark of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Noah Dunlap. I hope you guys enjoyed um, college football, NFL talk, a little bit of basketball talk as well, a little bit of tennis talk. That's what we do on the show. We talk all sports all the time. That's what we focus on. That's what we do. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you and God, I hope you enjoyed, like I said, your weekend as well as the show today. Enjoy your week. Should be on either tomorrow or Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that as well. But in the meantime, go out, leave a review, leave a rating, Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever it is that you are listening to this from. Leave a review, leave a rating. Um, that's how we grow. That's how we get better. That's how we improve what we're doing here on the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. I love you guys. I will see y'all guys, like I said, either tomorrow or Wednesday. But in the meantime, y'all stay safe out there.